welcome to Ipsos Views, a series of podcasts featuring thought leaders from inside and beyond Ipsos, discussing the topics that matter to the future of our industry, to our clients, and to consumers, markets, and societies all around the world. Today, I'm joined by two colleagues who are leading work on the deployment of generative AI to transform our research. So welcome back to Ipsos Views, everybody. We are delighted today to be joined by two very special guests from other parts of Ipsos. So first of all, we've got Michelle Geary, who is our Chief Operating Officer here at Ipsos. He's been here for nearly six months now, and in those six months, it may not be a very long time, but he's already made a big impact on the organisation. So welcome to Ipsos Views, Michelle. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And we also have Rich Timpone, who is I think he won't mind me saying he's more of a veteran of Ipsos. He's been here for about 13 years, I think, Rich, is that right? And you're the head of the Global Science Organization now. Uh, yes, that's correct. Been 13 years and great to be here. Thanks. You two are the authors of our new Ipsos Views white paper, which is entitled Exploring the Changing AI Landscape from Analytical to Generative AI, which has already proved very popular, unsurprisingly, because it's a really hot topic uh, all around the world at the moment. Um, if I can start with with you, Michelle. So AI is a concept, Michelle. It's nothing new. In fact, you know, it's been spoken about, it's been talked about for many, many decades. I think back to 1956, obviously before before your time. But is this abrupt surge of interest that we're experiencing at the moment, is that just because of what's happened with chat GPT and generative AI? Or is, is this really the tipping point um, for the adoption of this new technology, do you think? Well, it, it's been a long time. I wasn't born in 1956, but AI as a concept has been around for a long time and as, as an application or a technology really as well. And we at Ipsos have been using it for many, many more years than generative AI uh, as, as existed. Um, we've built products and applications uh, using artificial intelligence again in the past many years. Um, we've also been, in, it's been a, a field in constant evolution and, and Rich, you know, could talk about that more eloquently than I could. Um, th the field of uh, NLP, uh, for example, has been one that has been booming in the past several years before generative AI became a thing. And what what happened, of course, is is ChatGPT, which has been, if you, if you want to look at it like that, it's been a, a, a door uh, that the general public has been able to open onto this, the field of artificial intelligence in a way. ChatGPT is the first um, mass application that people have rushed into to tap into artificial intelligence and a new type of artificial intelligence um, enabled by large language mo models, which is now called generative AI. And so um, it's been it's been opening you know, opening a new field um, to a new population. The, the space itself is is very well known to data scientists and to technologists, uh, obviously. Uh, the space of machine learning using artificial intelligence. Um, it's it's ChatGPT that has really changed the trajectory uh, by, by opening that new category, if you wish. Uh, again, using things that were already there. Yeah, so I... I... Totally agree with everything you've said. And I would say that ChatGPT has sort of ushered in a, a tipping point um, where things have changed dramatically, as, as you called it, a the first real mass application. And it's not just 
how broadly it's being used, but how quickly it's been embraced. So it only took five days for ChatGPT to reach its first million users. And within two months, it reached 100 million users, which is faster than Instagram, Spotify, Twitter, Facebook took to reach their first million. Um, so the the speed of adoption has been dramatic. Um, and the implications, the breadth of the uh, insights generation, the process automation, the way we engage, um, all of those can be enriched and enhanced by this. And it goes well beyond sort of the um, analytic uh, AI and the earlier version. So AI has been around since 1956. And as we think the different roles from uh, understanding human intelligence, creating machine intelligence, and solving practical applications, practical business problems. We've been in recent years focused on that last, um, and that's where the models, the data training, the computational power have created a, a new era in AI for us. Yeah. So we're all very excited about it. I can see you two are both very excited about it, and many people all around the world are very excited about it. I mean, right at this moment in time, our Prime Minister here in the UK, I believe, is visiting your President, Rich, and they're talking about this. With that in mind, do you think there are any limits to where we can go with this technology? And, and if, if there are limits, where do you think there might be? We're very excited and we're equally aware that balance is very important to, to us as individuals and us as Ipsos too. And um, I'll let Rich talk about our, the framework we're applying to Generative AI next to the sheer excitement. Uh, I've told the team at the start that I wanted to go fast and slow. Sounds like an oxymoron. Uh, fast in testing and slow in throwing ourselves into it. Why? Uh, because the first, the space is evolving so quickly um, that it's very hard to know exactly where to place your bets for the long term because there's there's no such thing as long term. It's it's we're living in a moment where history is in the making in a way. Um, every new week, every week, if you're if if you're following the the evolution of generative AI, you see a new list of applications you must try and you've never heard of them. I mean, some of them you've never heard of, you know, a month a month ago because they didn't exist. Um, it's a it's a constant evolution. I've been working with, um, you know, OpenAI, um, with OpenAI's technology and, and uh, language model for a long time, for a couple of years. And some of the things that I was working on um, before has been made partially or quite a bit obsolete by new developments in the language models themselves. So you had to code around and you don't have to because now it's native to the to the model itself and the, the way you can inter interrogate it. It's a fascinating field. We're also very keenly aware about the limitations. And that's why, again, we're, we're coming at it with balance. Uh, our clients and our colleagues expect us um, on that because we are a thought leader at Ipsos. And that's why that, that balancing act is important in, in that if you don't mind rich again you, you'll do a better job at me at, at describing our framework we are both very excited but there are absolutely limitations um, but those limitations are changing on a weekly and daily basis because it's not only the use cases but even the technology is advancing and improving at an incredible pace right now but that doesn't mean that generative AI, large language models are ideal for all business cases that, that we want to apply them to. We are testing 
over 60 different use cases. Um, the idea of exploration is critical, but we're using it in a framework of how we evaluate our models. So the framework we use is one of truth, beauty, and justice, where truth is about the accuracy of the, the results. Um, we know for simple queries of these models, um, it, it, some of them are prone to hallucinate, to when we go beyond the data that they are trained on, they will make up things. Um, and so the accuracy not only applies there, but as we get into specific insight generation, specific um, approaches of analysis, we need to be evaluating it for our different use cases. Um, beauty in the field of AI is most focused on the explainability of the models, which is even more critical given these issues of accuracy um, and appropriateness for the use cases. And justice is about, the, the fact is these models are becoming ubiquitous. They are impacting people's lives. Um, and therefore, the ethical implications, the fairness, the uh, issues that we traditionally look at in AI ethics, algorithmic fairness, as well as data privacy are key. And it brings in new areas such as the rights and responsibilities of the creators of the information that these models are trained on and those of us using them, the responsibilities we have. And at Ipsos, we evaluate the different use cases and the quality of the models in those three to identify where they are limited, where they are limited today, may get past those in the future. Um, and so this is an ongoing exploration and an exciting area. I'll just rewind just a couple of moments to something you both mentioned actually, which is about the potential applications for our clients and our research partners. I and mean, how far reaching do you think the changes to the research industry will be? And, and what does it mean for our clients? So first, we're starting to see some clients telling us that they're not comfortable uh, with using generative AI for themselves and therefore not comfortable for us to use it on their behalf. I don't know if it's something that will you know, be there for a long time, um, but I can understand because of what Rich just detailed, right? There are today problems with accuracy and hallucinations. There, there's very funny or serious examples in, in the news every day. Um, about you know generative AI being used um, with a an outcome that isn't accurate and that can lead to trouble. It can lead to trouble in many different ways. Think about using generative AI in in medicine or in the healthcare uh, sector. Well, if it's if it hallucinates, that's that's a problem. And of course, there, there's other implications too uh, around the the potential manipulation that can can be empowered or enhanced um, manipulation of truth that can be that can be enhanced and made a lot easier um, by generative AI uh, as well. And there, there's been examples of that as well. You know, the fake news, huge problem in the, the threat it poses to society. The, the, all these are very big things. We do, though, get out. So clients are worried about it. But like everybody, they sense that they have to get in the game uh, because Generative AI is we we at Ipsos view it as a superpower, as as an extension of your power as a human being, 
um, it's sort of an exoskeleton, right, that you put on and it makes you run faster, jump higher, and you can carry bigger weight and etc. If you don't have it, um, you'll be exposed to people that do and, and you'll be at a disadvantage. But it's only that, that we, we are also convinced um, and we may be proven wrong in the long term, but that's uh, that's a different society altogether. And, um, you know, we're getting into Terminator now. Uh, uh, we do believe that um, it, it's all about the human using it. Um, we need humans. It's, it's a technology and the, the humans will be using the technology and most of the time the technology or the applications won't be used right by the humans. And so the human factor is extremely important. So sorry, I, I went a bit around when clients come to us, they want to understand how can this help my business um, to go faster and, and to get more out of our data. You know, we at Ipsos, we deal with a ton of data uh, of, of very different kinds, uh, many things about consumer you know, consumer needs and um, consumers' expressions, consumer sentiments. We measure things in an active and in a passive way. We we do quantitative work and qualitative work, and we do it online and offline. Wow, we have we have tremendous data. Um, in the space of qualitative, for instance, where we're a global leader, um, we are limited by our ability to treat the data we have available. I'll give you an example. Uh, we do a community with a thousand people for a year. Um, we have a ton of data that is extremely interesting. We already apply modern software and technology, of course, to mine that data and make sense of it. With Generative AI, we can go faster and deeper. And so typically, by the way, the same is true like this. If we recorded this video and we had like hundreds of them uh, of people like us, we would have hundreds of hours of video and therefore content that we could mine as well for research and, and insights generation, which is amazing. But if a client comes back and tells us, okay, you know, Michelle, can we get more out of the community that we've run, you know, for the past many months or the hundreds of hours of video we have? We would say, sure, it's going to cost X and it's man hours, really using tech. It's man hours. And usually the client will say, OK, I don't have the budget or not the full budget. Now, fast forward with generative AI, we could still go and get, you know, the data and therefore the insights because the technology is going to enable us to better leverage the unique data that we produce for our clients and so they're really interested in knowing that i think you raised two different areas so the first the idea of these tools as a superpower for our, our users um, a critical part that that was just discussed is the fact that the humans in the loop, the researcher in the process is critical upfront in how we're querying, how we prompt, how we ask the question um, is critical for the training of the models themselves going beyond the base models that are out there, as well as how we interpret, leverage, and execute action on the information coming out. These are critical elements. Um, and as we think about those, both creating efficiencies, um, but also bringing new insights, um, that's where you asked specifically about the use cases. The buckets that we've traditionally used AI for are the ones that generative AI also will be key for. So AI for process automation, for being faster with many of our processes, things like transcription, translation, um, the ability to leverage those hours, hundreds of hours of video observational data. Um, but also AI for engagement, 
how we as a research company are engaging with our respondents to be more effective, collect better data um, more easily from individuals, but also how we engage with clients directly, um, sharing, democratizing the data to more researchers, more individuals across companies. And then there's the AI for insight generation. And that's always been an area um, that's been key for how can we bring new insights that are actionable for our clients and generative AI expands that. And we have use cases in each of those buckets um, that we're excited um, as we explore. In a few days time, a few days after we're recording this and a few days after we're speaking now, we're actually releasing a second white paper in our series on this. Uh, which is called Conversations with AI. So look out for that one if you're listening. And that covers uh, a new term to me, at least, which is called iterative sciences. So could you quickly just tell us what iterative sciences are and why they're important, particularly in the realm of qualitative research? Iterative sciences is the idea that when you're leveraging a tool like generative AI, you are not going to simply ask a question and get your output. That it is a conversation with the AI, just like it is a conversation with a focus group or a community. Um, and the diversity of the users and how people react to the questions is exactly the same because different AI platforms respond differently. And so the idea is as you're crafting this dialogue, it is part of what's known as prompt engineering um, with the AI tools, with the generative AI tools. It's really an art that takes the domain knowledge as well as the art of the question and knowledge of the platforms. And to be most effective, we've seen this everything from code generation to understanding and probing and getting the most accurate, rich insights um, from individual queries. Um, it is an iterative process, and we see this as part of a broader domain of how we um, engage with data going forward. As you both said, this is a really fast developing field at the moment. There's a lot of innovation going on. There are people who are skeptical about some of this stuff. So what are the important elements of innovation culture that you think organizations have to adapt to in order to be successful at realizing some of the benefits from this new technology? We are observing society at Ipsos too. And, uh, and as, I, as I said, um, we're trying to come into the, the topic you know, of generative AI, knowing that we have a long history with artificial intelligence as a whole. We are convinced that this is really going to impact the world, right? Like the internet did, uh, except maybe a little bit faster. So did the internet change everything in our lives? No, but it's changed quite a few things. And generative AI is going to be the same magnitude, maybe a bit more, just a little bit more, a little, a little faster maybe. Now, all that said, it's going to take more time than most people that talk about every day think. We are talking generative AI every day. Lots of people in the in the technology world, in the data science world, of course, do too. Now, the, the general public hears about it a lot, but hasn't yet adopted it in, in their daily lives much. It will come. It will come because when Microsoft makes it available in all their products, you'll have it at your fingertips, right? Uh, it's coming, but it's not yet something that 75% um, of population uses. It will take time, just like every big technological wave. It will be faster than the previous ones, but it will still take time. So we need to keep that in mind, um, maybe a little bit. Now, back to the culture at companies. 
my two cents of advice for what what it's worth it's to to mix humility and confidence it's a fast evolving space we expect because we work with um you know the public sector the government bodies etc we expect regulation to come uh, also faster than it would for other past innovations because everything is going faster but it's going to be regulated some right uh, not to to kill it but really to make sure that it doesn't get totally out of control um, that's what you hear, by the way, from the in technology leaders themselves. They're calling for more regulation around that. So watch this space. Be humble uh, in or that's what we're trying to apply to ourselves. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things we don't know yet about about the space, uh, both in terms of the technology and how it's unfolding and also in terms of its potential, the good and the bad. But then be confident too. don't wait. Um, start testing. So the fast and slow that I mentioned at the beginning, maybe um, if you haven't yet um, get onto it, put it in the hands of the people, by the way, check because they're probably at least some of them already using it unbeknownst to you. So um, be confident and try to put things under control as well um, in terms of training and policies on how your people are going to use it because it's out there and you really want to understand what people are doing um, because it's not risk-free. It's it's very powerful, but like with every big power comes big responsibility. As an innovative organization, you want to be in the balancing act between those two things, the, the humility and the confidence, and also making sure you help your constituents, your colleagues and your clients maybe, do the right thing. Final question, tell you about price because when when new technologies emerge, often they're you know, very expensive. It's difficult to price these things. And where do you think this will settle up? Do you think in the final analysis, this will actually make things cheaper for the industry, or do you think it'll simply make them better? I I don't know is the honest answer because you could look at it both ways. Uh, you buy a new iPhone, um, it's still doing the same thing, except it does them better and faster. I mean, is it cheaper? Usually not. So technology doesn't have, you know, even when it allows you to make savings, it there's value in it, right? So the fact that we deliver insights faster, that's great. You should you should pay more for that in a way. At the same time, everybody's aware of the productivity savings as well. And those we will share parts with our clients. I'm talking about Ipsos, but really I'm talking about everyone. So how do, do the two balance each other out? I, I don't know yet. There's also, by the way, the, the price on the on the models themselves. It's still early days. We, you know, it, it's it's not mature um, a, a business yet entirely, and so we don't know what the price is going to be yet uh, in the long run to to use um, those capabilities, the, the the technology itself. And last, there's value that we add as Ipsos. Uh, you know, we use we use models. Everybody can use models. What what is value we bring? It's what Rich mentioned: the domain expertise, the out of the question, and then the knowledge of the platforms that has a, a value there for a price as well, which we'll have to figure out with our clients. This is learning as we go. You know, I, it's it's early days, so we'll be working with our clients on it. And and just building on that, I would say the offerings that will be delivered are evolving. So I would say in some areas there will be some price improvements for the automation of manual repetitive processes. Those will be um, some prices brought down. But as Michelle was saying. The new insights, and again, the generative AI tools are one part of what is brought. It's not only the domain expertise. While 
the idea of synthetic data will be useful for some things. Primary data becomes even more critical for how we train these. Um, and analytic models, other traditional AI machine learning feeding into the generative AI um, is likely to create sort of a fusion as well. So um, the fact is it's about the value brought to the clients um, and if we're bringing more together and not just us, the industry, um, there will be new offers, but if it creates new actions that allow you to manage your business more effectively, um, it's worth the additional value and cost. And the, these tools will create new offers that will create new insights and opportunities that we haven't had before. Well, thank you both very much for your time. I really enjoyed listening to you and, and particularly for for laying out such a positive view of what this technology can do. I know, Michelle, you're in France, Richard, you're in the US. If you've been following the news coverage here in the UK on this subject, it's been quite scary, actually. History does tell us that new technologies generally don't lead to Armageddon. In fact, some of the most doom-laden predictions come from the people who develop that technology themselves. And with AI, it's been no different so far. So it's good to hear that actually we, we should be looking forward to an exciting new landscape of opportunity. So thank you both very much. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you, Rich. Thank you. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ipsos Views. You can find more of our thought leadership on Ipsos.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to Ipsos Views wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.